been out on the road Waiting for new episodes We've been thinking of you And just what you need Oh yeah Now that's the show Underway I guess we can call it a day You're all ready for The Bullfinger Show <laughs> Welcome back to the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy, Bowfinger. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, host of the, among other Movies by Minutes podcasts, Annihilation Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, and Cock and Bull Minute. But you're here for more Bowfinger. We're in minute 88, which begins with Kit and Daisy watching Chubby Rain and ends with a celebration back at the Bowfinger International office. Fox Theater, Westwood, yada yada yada, film premiere, Daisy sitting next to Kit. Both seem pleased with what's on screen. Behind them, Freddy. On Kit's right, our left, a seat higher than Kit's, meaning it's empty. Keep that in mind for the reveal that comes later this minute. Dissolve to the mid-car chase on the screen over the audience. Cut to Dave, smiling, eyes wide and bright. He was the guy hiding on the crank with the camera, after all. He's proud. Dissolve to Afram as Officer Tompkins, when his face starts dripping. The same camera angle we saw that moment from earlier, which, the way that scene was staged, should have not been possible. The camera was still up on the crane. And if there was a second camera, somehow it would have been in the other car with Slater and Jif, which the angle would have been different. His arm falls off and we cut to the reaction shot. Afram in the audience, open mouth grin. He is surrounded on either side and behind and in front by presumably his Iranian relatives, five women in hijabs and chadors, four men in western suits and white kafeas. They all seem quite excited seeing Afram on the screen, which, one last jab at screenwriters, they are excited by him on screen, probably not as much by the writing credit. Cut to screen over crowd. The reshot ending with Kit Ramsey fully invested, looking up at camera, arms out, and I guess it is a moment and all that, but I was promised gotcha suckers. But I'm getting something more got you than gotcha, and I swear Murphy slash Kit slash Keith is putting the R in suckers far more than Martin slash Bowfinger or Downey slash Rempo or Graham slash Daisy do. Kit as Keith. Got you suckers. So, is it a moment? Eh. I mean, the other option is ending with more Ed Wood style voiceover. Camera rises, music. Doesn't crescendo? Insert asterisk here. And there's another sound, which is this supposed to be the aliens flying away? The antenna powering up? The scene is fading, but we cut to Bowfinger watching. Asterisk. The music 
isn't chubby rain here, it's Bowfinger. It's wistful, not triumphant. Not an action film endnote. Camera moves in just barely on Bowfinger. He's happy. And I'm reminded of the end of Greg Sestero's book, The Disaster Artist, about his relationship with Tommy Wiseau in the making of The Room. Quote, The Room's premiere was testament to Tommy's unrelenting drive and determination. He'd inflict his vision on the world whether the world wanted it or not. He was a movie star whether the world saw it or not. In getting here, Tommy had sometimes been destructive and sometimes cruel. But how could I, how could anyone, not be moved by Tommy who'd fought so hard against the unforgiving confines of his star-crossed life? The room I already knew was a lot of things. A bad film, a funny film, a bizarre film, a glorious film, a vain film, an absurd film, an incompetent film, a powerful film, a fascinating film, a disastrous film, an independent film, an inexplicable film, and finally, a brave film. Sitting there in the theater, I let myself feel proud of Tommy, who believed his movie was a first-rate emotional drama that contained all his most profound ideas about life. In that regard, the room was Tommy, and is Tommy, a man who remains the grandest and most sincere dreamer I've ever known. This is ultimately what redeems his immensely conflicted and complicated darkness. In the end, Tommy made me realize that you decide who you become. He also made me realize what a mixed blessing that can be. Although I knew Tommy's film wasn't going to be received the way he wanted it to be that night, I hoped he'd be able to recognize how incredible this experience really was. When I looked over at him, I couldn't help but see a vision of the young boy who peered through a movie theater's cracked door in Eastern Europe, newly in awe of life's possibilities. Tommy removed his sunglasses and glanced back at me. He had tears in his eyes. He smiled, nodded, and turned toward the screen. It wasn't often that you got to see a man whose dream was literally about to come true, but then the lights went down and I couldn't see him anymore. End quote. Does it matter if Chubby Rain is a good film? Or, per Kit Ramsey, I guess it's just a movie. But does it matter if it's a good one? Ultimately, no. Especially in context of the story that started with Bowfinger reading the script alone, and his dog walking away when he suggests that she believes in him. A child actor, former host of Muffy Time, acting teacher, and commercial director. In the script, we're told that Bowfinger has made nine short films and nine commercials in eight years. In the film, we see him labeled as commercial director Robert K. Bowfinger on the cover of Cinemalogue, and the only poster in the Bowfinger International Office that seems to be one of his films is The Yugo Story, which is easily a short, making Chubby Rain his first completed feature. That's big, no matter how successful it is. We hear the applause before at least the people behind Bowfinger are clapping. Cut to a new angle behind the audience from rear left. Screen has gone to black. Lights are coming up, and there's no end credits. Wait, is this just a test screening? Everyone's going to sit back and fill out a cardstock questionnaire? Which of these movies have you seen? Check all that apply. What made you decide to see Chubby Rain? With checkboxes for the stars, the director, the genre, and so on. For that matter, how many of the people in the audience came to this thinking it was more like the nutty professor with the comedian Eddie Murphy confusing him with action star Keith Kincaid? What were your favorite scenes? What were your least favorite scenes? Which of the following words or phrases best describe the movie? Entertaining, boring, slash dull, dramatic, powerful, fun, scary, interesting, innovative, done before, too slow in spots, too fast in spots, etc., etc., and so forth. Finally, would you recommend Chubby Rain to your friends? Why or why not?
and you try to discuss your answers openly with the person you came with, so maybe the coordinators think you're just outgoing enough to be asked to stay even longer for the recorded discussion, and you'll walk out not only with a free movie, but $20 cash burning a hole in your pocket? Thank you, Hollywood. Not that I go to test screenings anymore. They started asking more questions up front, and either I had to lie every time or they wouldn't want me there because I had my movie blog and a movie-related podcast, and it doesn't matter how successful those might be, they want regular audience members, not film obsessives like me. I mean, I could just lie. But, alternatively, I can pretend that I'm too much of a Hollywood insider, and I am forbidden. So I got that going for me. So I got that going for me. Coincidentally, back in 1995... I worked at the United Artists Marketplace Theater in Old Town, Pasadena, when one of the test screenings run there was Father of the Bride Part 2, starring none other than Steve Martin. Not unlike his big-screen counterpart here, Martin arrived barely in time for the screening, avoiding the crowd, and for the most part, avoiding us workers as well. He wore a hat to hide his face a bit, and he rushed from the entrance to Auditorium 4, pausing to head to the restroom first, the location of which I pointed out. By the way, he knew who I was. Big fan. Okay, maybe that last line isn't true. Anyway, Bowfinger's face, huge on the screen. Then the audience, as the lights come up. And we get an angled view of Kit, Daisy out of frame, so we can see that not only is Jif there, but one, he's sitting next to his brother, which is nice. Two, he's wearing an orange windbreaker and cap, which demonstrates just how outside even the Hollywood audience he is. And three, he has a pizza box in his lap, and I only now just got the joke of one and two. He's wearing his pizza delivery uniform, and he clearly has not delivered that pizza. <laughs> when he had that great principled stance about how when he gets coffee for somebody, I know that I'm the one who'll get the coffee for someone. I'm the one that's doing it. I'm the one that got the coffee. I got it from point A to point B. I made sure the napkin was in the bag. I made sure there was cream in the bag. There was sugar in the bag. I did it. Me, you know? Clearly, Hollywood has finally gotten to him. And somewhere in Tinseltown, someone sits waiting for a pizza that might never come. It's a tragedy. Hollywood pulls you in and then spits you out and pizza eaters starve. Or maybe Kit was nice enough to order a pizza to be delivered at the premiere just to be sure that Jeff was there at least for the end of the movie. Hollywood and Minehead may <laughs> with your head, but the love of family still wins out in the end. Jeff cheers. Kit looks over at him and smiles. It's nice. It's wholesome and triumphant. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Cut to Bowfinger and he looks to his right and behind, taking in the crowd's response. Camera moves in again and he looks to his left toward out-of-frame Dave, then to out-of-frame Carol on his right, bright eyes and smile. This is, as Bowfinger would say, a moment. Second 50 smash cut to Bowfinger International the next day. Jif standing with glass in hand, talking to Dave with a paper cup, sitting down. Behind them, two of Bowfinger's Mexican crew, plastic cups in hand, wearing suits with the arms rolled up. Nice watches, visible gold necklaces. They're Hollywood now. On the wall above them, because I haven't been here yet to obsess about the set decoration of Bowfinger International, a poster for 1955's Cult of the Cobra, which maybe gives a hint to one subplot of Chubby Rain. The tagline for Cult of the Cobra, on a different poster than this one, mind you, is can a woman's beauty be changed to a thing of terror? Cynthia slash Carol just may have become an alien, so it applies. The plot, by the way, of the Cult of Cobra is summarized on IMDb as follows. American GIs who trespass on a Hindu ceremony are hunted down by a beautiful woman who has the power to transform herself into a cobra. The tagline on the poster on the wall, 
Out of the mystic east, terror strikes at the heart of the city. In the corner, on the floor, a poster for a western that apparently is not one of the Dollars trilogy, even if the silhouette on it made me think of those. Camera rotates to the right, and we see Slater sitting on the back of the couch, one leg up on its arm. Carol sits on the couch. One of the Mexican crew members is knocking glasses with Carol and Slater. Another holds up a bottle of Perrier Jouet champagne. And that one notably has a beeper on his belt, and is that a flip phone and a holster next to it? Speaking of holsters, next is Officer Callahan, in uniform, but definitely still drinking champagne. He's talking to Afram, who also has a champagne glass. Meanwhile, one of the Mexican crew, in a suit, comes over to the one with the champagne for a refill, and, well... And cut, Brent! We're moving on! That's a wrap on Minute 88 of Bowfinger. I've been your host for this minute, Professor Robert E.G. Black. If you want to hear more from me while you're waiting for tomorrow's episode, you can check out one of my previous movies by Minutes Podcasts, Michael Myers Minute, Dave Made a Minute, The Room Minute, Annihilation Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, Cock and Bull Minute, Two Minutes About Time, Pump Up the Minute, Five Minute Arrival, or the currently running Minutia Ex Machina, The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can find any of those on your usual podcatchers, and you can find links to those and more at lemmingdrops.com. You can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, bowfingerminute.com. If you've got the time, please like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Facebook at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center, and on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. Join me here next time on the Bowfinger Minute. In the meantime, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Sure.